I don't want you to let you there. Good. Well, regulars here will know that we're ploughing our way through a series um, on our purpose statement, which is published on the front of uh, our bulletin there. And you all can recite it by heart, can't you? Living life Jesus' way, by his spirit, on his mission, for his glory. And we've been taking it section by section and um, just exploring the scriptures just to make sure that what we're claiming as being our purpose as God's people being here is biblical. And uh, so we've been looking at various things. And we're in the section on his mission, on his mission. And this is the fourth in that series. We've had Jim Ransom, we've had uh, Ben White, we had Steve a couple of weeks ago, and now we're still on his mission. And in fact, we should be on his mission next week. When Louise comes, she'll talk about some local mission in schools. And it's quite appropriate that we're, we're in this section. So that's what we're looking at this morning. So let's ask God to help us, shall we? Father, we thank you and praise you that although you could sort this world out entirely by yourself, you've chosen to draw us in on your mission. Lord, you've chosen to make us co-workers with you. And Lord, have given us the glory of seeing things move and be done at, at our hands, Lord, by your spirit. And we thank you and we praise you. And uh, Lord, we ask you for more insights, more vision and uh, commitment, Lord, to your worldwide mission. Lord, we ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to watch um, uh, a video a little bit later. Uh, but I um, just want to... This is really, in some ways, um, an introduction to the video. It's a rather long introduction, but it is, the video is quite short. But um, I'm, I'm sure that people who maybe don't look into it too closely, they look around the world and they see all, world, all sorts of world religions, and there are thousands of them, aren't there? All sorts of strange practices and things, some things not so strange and so on. And I guess that most people would say, well, it's all to do with the development of man. Man in his primitive state felt that he wanted to locate something that was unseen and something outside himself. And uh, so religions of all sorts were, were developed. And, and man wanted to worship something. So it might have been the, the, the forest, it might have been the river, it might have been something that he carved himself or whatever. But this need to do so. And of course, I'm sure that is true in, in some ways. But um, I, I don't think Christianity is entirely unique in this. But from, from the Bible's point of view... Um, that's not the story. The story is it's God's initiative from beginning to end. That our Christian faith built on the Jewish faith uh, is all to do with God's initiative. And biblical mission has its origin in God. It's God's mission. It's God's initiative. If you think about right at the very beginning, what we call the fall, God having created Adam and Eve, um, they decided that they could live life without God, that they didn't need God, they would live independent of God. And right from that point, God began a mission. And the first question he asked Adam was, can you remember what the question was? Where are you? Where are you, Adam? God was searching for Adam in a sense. Many people say that religion is about people trying to reach up to God. Well, the Christian religion... Uh, it's about God reaching down to man. It's always God's initiative. And God's great mission will find its fulfillment um, in the new heavens and the new earth, 
when that which was lost, that which was fallen, that which was broken will be mended and there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And man will dwell with God and there will be no more pain, no more crying and so on. So God's on a mission and it's God's mission. It's God's initiative. Um, and if we kind of pick up the story from, from where we started on this series, which is from Abraham, before that, God having destroyed the world because of its wickedness through the flood, and yet preserving one family, Noah's family, eight people in a boat with lots of animals. Uh, and later, they were the people that then re-inhabited the earth. They were the sons, uh, Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And they, with their wives, then re-inhabited the earth. And some hundreds of years later, God picks on a man, um, not because he was anything special, as far as we know. We're not told that much about him. Uh, but he was a heathen, he was not a worshipper of God, and with his father they were travelling from the Persian Gulf uh, to travel towards what was then known as the land of Canaan. They were on a journey, they paused, and on that, in that time of pause, God spoke to Abraham. And God revealed to Abraham something of his mission, something of the great thing that God was going to be doing in the earth and was doing in the earth. And again, it's God's sovereign choice. Um, there are no virtues that we know of as to why he chose Abraham, but he chose him as his sovereign choice. And this is what we read um, th- those f- now four weeks ago. The Lord said to Abraham, as he was first called Abraham, wasn't he, and then later given the name Abraham, leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So here's this amazing promise. It was so amazing because the man was half dead, really. He was uh, uh, approaching a hundred, and so was his wife. And what an amazing thing to say to him. But it's interesting that God chooses a man. Um, he, he then tells him he's going to have a family by miraculous intervention. And that family will be a great nation and they will bless the whole earth. This is how God chooses to do it, through a family. God could have chosen to, um, to uh, uh, speak to people on the earth in all sorts of ways, but he chose to do it through a family and it's God's sovereign choice, no merit of their own. Now, of course, we know that later Abraham was commended for his faith, incredible faith, we know about that being asked to offer his son as a sacrifice and it was obedient to God and yet God stopped that right at the last minute. But he is held up in scripture as an example of faith. Against all odds, he believed God. It was an impossibility for him and his wife to have a child, but they eventually did. Uh, and it was against all odds that he believed God. And it says, it's, it's, he's held up as an example of faith. He believed God and it was credited to him, credited to him, as righteousness, and he's now called the father of faith. And New Testament writers refer back to him and say that's the kind of faith that we should have, that we should believe God and trust him, and it will be credited to us as righteousness rather than by good works. So God's purpose then, the descendants of Abraham, should be a light to the Gentiles. It was never God's intention that it should be just this family, just the nation uh, of, of Jews as they became. From the line of Shem um, came the Jews. 
And uh, it was never God's intention that these people should keep it to themselves. And um, there was a time when the, the kingdom of Israel was divided. The northern kingdom called Israel, the southern kingdom called Judah. Uh, and this is after Solomon's reign when everything went wrong. And the northern kingdom had already been taken captive by the Assyrians. And they were threatening, the, threatening Judah now. And this is a word that came through Isaiah, the prophet. God says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. The Jews were looking, uh, would be looking later after the exile of coming back to Jerusalem, rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the structure of Jerusalem and, and being a nation again. And God said, that's too small a thing. You know, don't just think of yourselves. You're to be a light to the Gentiles. And this was God's purpose. Now, unfortunately, Israel failed in fulfilling this commission that was on them. Um, but God's promise did not fail. And we know that God's promise was fulfilled through Jesus. And Jesus in the New Testament is referred to as Abraham's seed, singular, the seed of Abraham that would fulfill the promises, Abraham and the fulfillment. It's like that Jesus starts a family all over again. Have you ever thought about that? Here he comes to a people that have largely rejected God's ways and have missed their way. And Jesus kind of starts yet another family. He chooses 12 disciples that he wants to be with him and he even calls them brothers uh, and he treats them like a family. He shows them what to do. He gives them authority and sends them out and he calls them brothers. And there's a time when Jesus used that word brother and sister um, over and above his natural parents. You remember that time when Jesus was teaching in the house, a great crowd of people, and his mother and brothers were outside. Now they were a bit embarrassed by him. They want to take him home. Come on, Jesus, come home. You're making a fool of yourself, all right? And somebody said, hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside. And he said, who are my brother and my mothers? These are my mother and brothers, those who do the will of my father. So Jesus is looking for a family of faith, those uh, who will trust in him. And there's a lovely scripture in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. This is a writer, we've no idea who it is necessarily, he's not giving his name, but he's writing to Hebrew Christians and telling them how wonderful Jesus is, that, that Jesus should become a human being and live his life among us and be a perfect um, sacrifice for us, a, a perfect uh, way for us to God. And he says this, In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. That is complete as a saviour. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. There it is again, a family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. I love that scripture. For all our faults and failings, Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. I think that's wonderful, absolutely wonderful. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and in the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am and the children God has given me. 
Of course, Jesus was Israel's Messiah, the fulfillment of all those promises, this great deliverer that was promised right back uh, and told, foretold through the prophets. And remember the time, in, we read about it in John chapter 10, where Jesus referred to his followers as sheep. He was the good shepherd and he gives his life for the sheep. And the sheep hear his voice and the sheep recognize him. And um, it, it's wonderful, not only as this sheep metaphor, but of course, Jesus taught the disciples to pray and use the name Father for God, which was quite revolutionary at that time, a very family thing. But he says about sheep, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus came primarily to the Jews first of all, but he knew that the effect of his coming, the benefits of his coming, were going to affect the whole world. And so he said, yes, you're my flock, the Jews, but there are other sheep that must be brought into this fold. And of course, the Great Commission that we think about in Matthew 28 um, tells us that it's the whole world. The mission is to the whole world. That um, all authority had been given to Jesus, and he said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you until the end of the age. And so it's, this is our missionary purpose. And it's now going to be fulfilled through the church, being part of Jesus' family. His family started with the twelve, and then it was extended. And we're part of Jesus' family to take the gospel uh, to the ends of the earth. This great commission. And of course, this will be made up of Jews and Gentiles, people who put their faith in Jesus. Very sadly, as I've already hinted, the Jews failed uh, in their mission. They looked inward on themselves. They were, they were exclusive and they excluded uh, others because they felt they were unclean in various ways. But Jesus had to give them a warning. And in Matthew 21, he says, Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken from you, that's you unbelieving people, and given to a people who will produce its fruit. So there are no racial barriers. Preach the gospel everywhere to all people. And then, of course, Ben White pointed out that the, the Great Commission appears in all the Gospels and, of course, in Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. Chapter 1, Jesus said, And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And God's new family, God's new tribe, is on his mission with Jesus at his head. Remember, Jesus said, And I am with you always. You go. You go on my mission and I am with you always to the ends of the earth. So we have a worldwide family, a universal church, but of course it functions in communities. And we're in the main, we're concerned about this church in this community. How does it function? What, what does it have? And to be effective on our mission to the world, we need to understand and embrace God's purpose for the whole church and for the local church and the fact that it's built on particular foundations. A church must be on proper foundations. And this is uh, what uh, Steve picked up uh, when we looked at um, Ephesians chapter 2. And I'll just read a few verses from that. Thinking about the foundations of the church. The structure may look different. Churches may look different all around the world. That's fine. We don't have to be all the same. But the foundations must be right. Otherwise, the structure that's built uh, is worthless. He came... 
This is speaking of Jesus. He came and preached peace to you who were afar off and peace to those who were near. Those who were near, of course, were Jews. Those who were far off were those at that point had not uh, received the blessing. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So for churches to be missionary churches, that is truly on God's mission. We could be on all sorts of missions, but they might not be God's mission, which God has initiated. Then they must have proper foundations, apostles and prophets with Jesus uh, as the chief cornerstone. We have a, a building metaphor here, don't we? We think about how important foundations are in any building. And this area is um, very susceptible to subsidence. And often it's the foundations that aren't able to take uh, the stresses and strains that come uh, from the soil and whatever else. And so foundations have to be reinforced. So we know how important it is that the church has proper foundations. And it's described like this, apostles and prophets with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Jesus is the reference. And uh, you know, Jesus is at the centre. We are sometimes saying, don't we, Jesus be the centre. And for ourselves, it's Jesus at the centre. And our worship, who's it been full of? Jesus, isn't it, this morning? How many times do we use the word Jesus in our worship? Okay, but that's proper, because that, he's our reference point for everything. He's the reference point, and on that reference, the apostles and prophets. Being known. So apostles then. If you recall that the disciples, and that's what they were called at the beginning, and they lived with Jesus, he'd chosen them, they lived with him, they saw what he did, he gave them authority, he said, you now go and do it. And then at the end of his life, when he gave them the commission, he's now referring, them to, referring to them as apostles. He named them apostles. And the word apostle just means a sent one, somebody who is sent on a mission. So if you're an apostle, you're on a mission. You know, if you're not on a mission, then you're not an apostle. Right? And so it was about making disciples, teaching them, uh, and uh, taking the presence of Jesus into the world. And the apostolic ministry was also prophetic. It was built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. And it's because God's purposes were, were uh, dis- disclosed, if you like, and spoken of in the Old Testament through the prophets. And if you recall the early chapters of Acts, Peter in particular, he kept saying, this is what, what's happening here is what was, for, what was promised by the prophets. We are the fulfillment. We are the sons of the prophets now. And we are fulfilling all that God has, 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 um, has planned and, and purposed and revealed through his prophets. So based on this prophetic vision, convinced that they were part of its fulfillment, the early apostles preached Christ, made disciples, planted churches, laid foundations of grace, a major foundation of grace and the fact that salvation is found in Jesus alone. This was in contrast to pagan religions where there was, and, and also Judaism where there was lots of legalism. It was about what you did, not who you believed in. But now it's all about who you believe in and who you trust in. The apostles later appointed elders. Having established the churches, 
We know the process was to go to places where Christ was not known. They would preach the gospel. Uh, they would make converts. They would form a church. They might spend a year or so there teaching them, laying these good foundations in the church. And when they felt comfortable about that, they would appoint elders, usually plural, elders, plural, not just one person, but a, a body of elders to oversee the church at that time. And, of course, they would go back from time to time to see how things were going. And um, if you know anything about the qualifications for elders in the New Testament, it's got family connotations to it. An elder must be uh, the husband of one wife. I think one's enough, don't you? (laughs) Yeah, you know. Because, Because it's all I need. She's all I need. I only need one. I, I only need one. I don't want any more. But, and also what it says is, to be more serious, that um, the person, he must be able to manage his own household well. What it's really saying, the inference is, if you can't manage the church which is your home, then how can you manage God's family? And so it's, it's very family-like. And so we get this picture of families all the way through. God starts, with a, if, if you like, by forming a family with Adam and Eve. They were to be a couple uh, who would fill the earth, uh, they would subdue the earth, they, w- they had authority uh, and, uh, over uh, all that God had made, and God would fill the earth from this family. Now we know things went wrong, but Noah started, sorry, God started with another family, which was Noah uh, and his family. And then God starts with Abraham. And then we come to Jesus and his family. It's all about being a family. So we are, um, as a local church, a family on a mission. We're part of God's family on a mission. So what, what does, what's this church look like? Well, I said earlier, churches can look very different. And especially if you go to other countries and other cultures, um, sadly, as I've said on occasions before, um, with our missionary um, enthusiasm, we've taken Western Christianity to lots of countries, sadly, and tried to ch- turn them into little English boys and girls and whatever, you know, quite wrongly, because the gospel is transferable into all cultures as long as you actually remove from those cultures the things that are anti-God, as it were. But there are some riches there that God wants in his church. So the church can look very different around the world, and that's proper, that it should do. And it's, it's not a problem that we do things slightly different from the church down the road. God loves the variety. But the foundations uh, must be right. And the local church in the New Testament is seen as autonomous. That is, it's, it's self-governing and self-supporting, working out the principles laid down by the apostles. Nevertheless, the apostles still exercise their influence uh, over those churches in what we might call apostolic spheres. Um, Paul had his spheres of, of, of operation. Other apostles, like Apollos and others, they had their spheres of influence where they were looking after churches and so on, and though, particularly those that they brought to birth. But there would be an encouragement for mutual care among the churches. You might recall in 2 Corinthians, Paul um, mentions to Gentile Christians um, that the, the, the Christians in Jerusalem are suffering, I think, because of a famine, maybe, 
And he said, uh, you know, even though you don't have much money, I want to take up an offering so that we can help your brothers uh, and sisters there in Jerusalem. And he said, I'll take the money personally. I'll, I'll be an ambassador for this money uh, that you, to help. So there was a, an interaction. But even though Jerusalem itself served as a base for apostolic activity, it was not the headquarters of the church. Everything didn't emanate from Jerusalem and government. There was no government or hierarchy, just spheres of apostolic responsibility and based on relationship. If there was any structure, it was to do with relationships. People who related to Paul were served by Paul. People who related to Peter were served by Peter and Apollos and so on. It was important. And um, remember, um, a couple of weeks ago, Steve emphasised that there are no more apostles with a capital A. We talk about the 12 as being absolutely unique. They're unique because they saw the risen Lord. They were, they were witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. And um, even though um, uh, we know that Judas um, messed it up and had to be put aside, in fact he, he committed suicide, didn't he? But, uh, and was replaced by Matthias, we're not actually, we don't hear of Matthias again uh, in the New Testament, but we do hear of Paul who had an encounter with Jesus, the risen Christ, on the Damascus Road. Paul, uh, who was a church persecutor under the name Saul, he was a Pharisee, and he was on his way to, to persecute the church in Damascus. And God, um, Jesus, arrested him on the Damascus Road. Uh, and so, um, yes, the, the twelve um, are unique, and also they're unique because we accept their writings as scripture. We say that God gave them special revelation uh, to fill out what all that the gospel means and how the church should be built. And we understand that their uh, writings are scripture and that's quite unique. But even in the New Testament, there were other apostles. And we find that Barnabas is referred to as an apostle. And in Romans chapter 16, uh, Paul says of uh, Andronicus and Junius, he says, they are outstanding among the apostles. So there are some apostles even there with a small a. And I would plead for a continuation of the apostolic ministry. So just very quickly, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4. I'm hardly going to comment on it. It kind of speaks for itself. Ephesians chapter 4. There are those who say there are no more apostles. Full stop, whether they've got big a's or small a's. No more apostles, uh, because we now have the scriptures, we now have the canon of scriptures, we call it, we have the Bible, we have the apostolic doctrine, which is enshrined in this. We don't need apostles anymore. And so they died out um, with the first century. But I think you'll see from Paul's writing to the Ephesians that the apostles are still an ongoing gift to the church. It is the risen, glorified Christ who is giving these ministries to the church. It's ongoing. And you'll see that the purpose is ongoing. It's not, it didn't finish with the writing of the scriptures. We'll pick it up um, at verse 11, just to save time. And speaking of Jesus, risen, glorified, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. 
Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now we could really go into that in depth, but I just want you to see it is the ascended Christ who gives apostles and they're there to bring the church to maturity. It's an ongoing process. It's to reveal Christ to the world through an ever-maturing church. And also they're there to... um, uh, protect the church against heresy. You know, you'll be no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the, by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunningness and craftiness and so on. So they have a, a very, very important role. So I believe there is a role for apostles today. Extending the kingdom of God as the early apostles did, going to places where Jesus is not known, making converts, you know, b- building the church, as it were, planting new churches, either in developed or undeveloped nations. Uh, that's still an apostolic work that's going on today. And many missionaries that are part of the, what we might call the modern missionary movement over the last 200 years, you could have called them apostles. They, they were doing exactly that. And they were eventually handing over the church uh, to local people. But apostles today, um, by invitation might put, help to put new foundations into churches. Churches feel they're not getting anywhere. They feel somehow or other they've taken on the traditions of men and they've lost their way and they want to be more New Testament in their expression. And they invite people with apostolic ministry to come and have a look at the foundations and put them right if necessary. But it's always by invitation. It's always uh, according to relationship. So they're restoring the church. And we've been in a, a, a period of history, church history where the church is being restored. But we had personal renewal and then we've had restoration of the church through various ministries that have come our way. So restoring the church where foundations have been eroded or, or need to be relayed, supporting struggling churches, providing mission opportunities, bringing relief to the poor, which is part of the apostolic mandate, and combining resources for the advance of the kingdom, providing training for leaders and others. So for any church to grow in maturity and function effectively, there must be exposure to these ministries somewhere or other. Uh, to call a church independent is not a compliment. You know, there are churches that have independent in their name. But we should not be independent. We may be autonomous and self-governing and self-financing and so on. But we should not be independent of those ministries that are not part of our church, but may well be travelling ministries in some ways, of the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, pastor, teacher. We need to plug into those, otherwise we are missing God's provision for coming to maturity. It's so, so important. Now, as most of you know, our particular relationship is through New Frontiers. It could have been through a number of other movements, but out of relationship, that's where we relate to, is New Frontiers. And um, it, it's described and describes itself as a family of churches on a mission. So we're picking up this family picture again, you know, right from Adam. God is using families in order to bring about his mission uh, in the earth. And you know, we experience this on a local level. Most of you know that there are seven churches now in East Kent, 
And we, we work together, we pray together, we envision together as to what God wants to do uh, in East Kent in building and in, in, uh, planting more churches. We relate across the, the, the whole of Kent, we relate across uh, the nation uh, and also internationally. And, uh, you know, I believe that, we, that every church needs to be plugged in to this kind of ministry. It doesn't have to be New Frontiers. It could be Pioneer. It could be Ixus. It could be other. Salt and Light, there's another movement. It's very, very similar. Uh, but they have these, other, these ministries available to serve the church, and it's very, very important because we need it to participate in this great mission and to complete the Great Commission. So I'm sure you know that, that some of us go to New Frontiers prayer and fasting three times a year. Very, very exciting. It's clearly um, a movement uh, you know, uh, on a mission. And um, the current rate of planting churches in the UK at the moment is one a month. That's the average, planting new churches in the UK. We're, in, we're involved with 50 other nations around the world. And it's all about advancing the kingdom of God. There's such a wonderful sense of momentum. And it's, it's because these ministries are allowed to operate in the church. Uh, soon we'll be going to uh, the Brighton Leaders Conference and uh, a number of us from here, plus one or two others, including um, Darren Blaney from the Baptist Church. And Darren has gone public over the fact that he doesn't find this kind of initiative uh, and stimulus from his own denomination. You know, he, he looks, in, looks over the fence at New Frontiers and said, you know, I, you know, I wish we were part of that. I wish we had that kind of vision uh, for planting churches all over the world and com- completing the Great Commission. So we're going to watch the video in a tick. And um, just to say, the video is produced in order to encourage um, the offering that is given at, at, um, at Brighton. And uh, last year it raised £1.25 million for the work which you'll see on the video they want to try and get to one and a half million this year. Now, it's our practice to give money from church funds. Okay, but there are envelopes at the back. And if you, having seen this already, you say, well, I'm not going to Brighton, because I think those who are going to Brighton will want to save their offering and, 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 and dance and sing and put it in the big, the big tub at the front, you know. So they probably won't want to give it here. But, but, um, if you'd like personally to be involved, you say, I, yes, I want to get behind this because I know ultimately it's helping me uh, to complete uh, the work that God's called me to do in his great mission, then there'll be an opportunity. You can put it in the offering next week. If you forget to take the envelope, just write on an envelope, you frontiers, and pop it in the offering. So that, that's what it's about. We're going to watch the video. I think it'd be good if we pull some curtains just and take some lights down. And it's very short, so... Okay, good. You might need to monitor the volume. Uh,
church to participate by taking an offering so that we can channel funds to the ministry. The breathtaking sum of bread has allowed us to achieve so much for God's community in our generation.
committee on particular commissions to reach out to minister with the poor. Over the last year, the major events that take place in Kenya and in Zimbabwe have drawn us out in great generosity to stand with our brothers on the ground. Wherever we're working, we encounter politics, and so we've been able to take various initiatives over the last year. Farming God's Way in Zambia, training people in skills so that they can start businesses to become self-supporters, and the ever-present problem of HIV and AIDS in many parts of the world. our mission to restore the church, to train up leaders, to make disciples, to start new churches, to reach out to the nations, and to empower the poor. Through our giving, every one of us can participate in this mission. <coughs> This year already, we've seen some wonderful things. The most recent for Wendy and me was going to Clarence in South Africa on the Lesotho border. Now, Lesotho is one of the poorest nations in the whole world. And when Steve and Heather Oliver from Cape Town sold up and moved, it was a huge pioneering step. And because we've stood with them financially, they've been able to do it. And now there are five churches. We had wonderful meetings with shining, brilliant believers. It's so great to see the kingdom advance. And thank you so much for your financial commitment. They couldn't have done that without your help. Those churches wouldn't exist if we were not in this together. This is just one example of many that's taking place at the moment. But we really are penetrating further and further into the nations. Please would you give us the resources we need an army that's going to our trials must have resources. It's not incidental, it's absolutely fundamental. I want to encourage you, stand with us, please, as we press into another year together. <coughs> I hope you found that inspiring and, uh, and you're able to respond as uh, God leads you. Let's close the meeting, shall we? And then we can have tea and coffee. We are available, as always, to pray with any that would like prayer. God, we, we thank you that following Jesus is exciting. Thank you, Lord, that there, Lord, there may be thrills and spills along the way. Uh, Lord, there may be challenges. Lord, sometimes there's hardship. But Lord, we thank you that you've called us together with you on this great mission that you're about in the earth. Lord, you want a family from every nation. You want that family to come from every nation. And there'll be no divisions, no male, no female, no bond, no free, no Jew, no Greek, nothing. All just part of your wonderful worldwide family. And we count it an absolute privilege to be part of that. And Lord, will you help us now, uh, Lord, to play our part, to respond uh, Lord, as to whatever you put on our hearts, please 
come and continue to minister to us by your Holy Spirit. We bless you. We thank you, Father God, for the joy of serving Jesus. Amen. Thank you.